So if you would please turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I'm just curious, does, um, does anybody know what the word saborgese uh, means? You know the word? Before you answer, let me tell you, you can't. You don't because it's not really a word. It's actually, uh, my wife and I made that word up. It sounds like it could be maybe like Croatian or something, right? Something kind of crazy. But we made that up. Early in our marriage, we would have these moments where we were just not communicating. We're just, we're really just missing each other. And so either of us could just throw out the word, word saborgese, which means everything you're saying to me right now is gibberish. I have no idea what you're talking about. And so it was kind of like, it was kind of like our reset word so we could get back on the same page and communicate with one another. Because the fact is this, even in the best of relationships, communication can break down. Miscommunication, misunderstanding, it happens in the best of relationships. On the human level, it also happens in our relationship with God, right? We communicate with God by prayer and guided by the word of God. But even then, sometimes it just seems like we're missing the Lord or we're not hearing from him. The words that we're saying are bouncing off of the heavens. There's just not a, a depth of intimacy in the communication. And we've got to figure out how to put it right again. So if you're a college student and you're jumping in for a first time this this uh, semester of this series, we've been talking about prayer, specifically the Lord's Prayer. And the, the analogy that we begin with as we started this series is um, birth, right? You're, you're born into this world physically, and when that happens, uh, you can't speak. You want to communicate, and you need to communicate, but you don't know how. You don't even know where to begin. And so slowly, as you uh, imitate the facial expressions of parents and those around you, and you imitate the way that their mouth is moving, you know, sounds start to come out, and then those sounds become words, and the words get formed into sentences, and then the sentences into paragraphs and more complicated ideas, and you begin to communicate in a really deep and intimate way with those around you. Well, the same principle is true in our spiritual life. We're born into the family of God longing to communicate with the Father, needing to communicate with the Father, but honestly, we don't know how to do it very well. We need to learn how to pray. So remember Jesus' disciples, as they followed him around, they saw him teach and they saw him heal. They saw him do amazing and wonderful things. But there was just one thing that they said, hey, specifically, Lord, teach us how to do that, and it was prayer. Because when Jesus prayed, it was, it was just so different from anything that they'd ever seen or experienced before, even though they'd grown up in this phenomenal praying culture, right? They had to memorize prayers for breakfast and lunch and dinner, and they went to the synagogues, and they heard the Pharisees pray, and the scribes pray, and the priests pray. And so they were surrounded by prayer, but then they heard Jesus pray, and they said, actually, we know nothing about communicating with God. Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And so he modeled prayer in front of them. He would pull them aside and pray with them. And then he would pray publicly in front of them. And then from time to time, he would instruct them. And he would say, this is how to pray. And that's what the Lord's Prayer is all about. That's where we've been the last few weeks. The Lord's Prayer is, in a sense, it's, it's this uh, template or model. Can you repeat it as a group? Sure, it's, that's okay. But really, the design is not to repeat it word for word, but to understand what matters to God in prayer. And how to pray consistently with what God really values. And so we begin to take steps of faith. We stretch out in prayer and we, we begin to pray, God, may your name be known. Right? May, may people know who you, you truly are. 
not just here, but among all of the nations. May your kingdom come, right? May your authority and your, your goodness and your power be known among all of the nations, right? This big, huge, expansive prayers. Oh, and God, also, would you give us our daily bread? We have needs in every moment. Would you provide these things for us? And we begin to stretch out, courageously asking God, Big things establishing his kingdom, reconciling our relationships, giving us our daily needs of food and bread and covering and all of these things. We're praying, we're stretching, but then we hit these moments where we go, well, but it just feels like we're not really communicating. And one of the primary things that disrupts that communication is an unwillingness to confess sin. Sin creates this barrier again between us and God. And if we don't confess it, we don't remove the barrier and the communication breaks down. Or if we're unwilling to forgive those around us, our communication can break down. And so as Jesus moves through this model or this template of prayer, he moves on to the issue of forgiveness. So this morning, we're going to talk about forgiveness, learning to seek it and receive it and give it to others so that our communication with the Father can be restored. So I want you to read with me, beginning in Matthew chapter 6, and let's start in verse 5. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. When you pray, Jesus says, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed or honored be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. To have rich and intimate and deep communication with the Father, we have to begin by seeking and receiving forgiveness. Now, before we get into the specifics of Jesus' exhortation, I want to deal with this concept of, of sin. What, what is sin? Or we, we walk in these doors and we talk about sin on a pretty frequent basis, but we go out in the world, we never use the word at all. Right? That's, just, that's not a word that really flies out there. But I think sometimes even inside we're talking about it, but we're not really understanding what is it exactly. And so there are actually many words throughout the Bible that describe different aspects of sin. In the New Testament, there are three that are primary. There is uh, the trespass, right? No, no trespassing. There's a known boundary. Don't climb over that fence or you'll be shot, right? I told my kids when they're little, don't reach and touch the so- stove or you will be burned, right? There's a clear boundary. Don't step over it. That's a trespass when you do. Or a, a misstep. This is... Uh, getting off the rails and you didn't really mean to, it was an accident, but there's still a consequence. You're still responsible, right? The uh, IRS says to you, you know, I don't care that you didn't know you're supposed to turn in that form 1040 on April 15th. I mean, you feel really bad about that, but here's what you owe and here's the fine and here's the interest that's attached to it and, you know, right? There's a consequence, but I didn't know. Oh, pay, right? I mean, that's, that's just, (laughs) it's a misstep. And then there's missing the mark. This is really the, the most common word for sin, hamartia. Uh, the poet Homer wrote about a warrior, Hamarte, who threw his spear and he missed his opponent. So Hamarte missed the mark. His name was Missed the Mark, right? Can you imagine? His parents named him. Ah, 
You're just not going to measure up. You're, no, miss the mark. Sin, we're going to call him sin. That's miss the mark, right? This is what Paul talked about in Romans three twenty three. For all have sinned. All have missed the mark and fallen short of the glory of God. What is the mark? The mark is the glory of God. The absolute perfection of the nature of God is the standard that's required to have relationship with God. And every, every single one of us falls short. We don't even get our spear on the target. It hits the ground, falling short. So what is sin? If we put all of these together, it's any word or action or thought or even a motive done knowingly or unknowingly that falls short of honoring God as he truly is. That's sin. Jesus here uses a fourth word, and it's the word debt. He says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us. Trespasses, missteps, missing the mark, all of these things put us in debt to God. Every sin is a debt to God. And it's a debt that's so great, it's so steep, that we cannot, in fact, pay it back. So what do we need? Well, we need what the Bible calls forgiveness, which means to let go of an offense. Refusing to to demand retribution or payment from the offender. That is, the one who has offended says, I let you go. I release it. In fact, two of the most common words for forgiveness mean let it go. Release the debt. The, the disciples left behind their nets. Right? They released them. They walked away. That's forgiveness. Release the debt. Release the person who owes you something. Let it go. Right? And in the case of our relationship with God, he says, I forgive you. I let it go. But damage is still done. Right? There's a harm that's been done that has to be remedied. God can't just go, well, I'll let it go and let's just forget about it. It's, it's got to be solved. Something's got to be fixed. Well, let me illustrate for you. Um, I have a friend. His name is Jacob Smith. And uh, a lot of you know Jacob. Uh, I love Jacob. We, we office on, on opposite corners uh, uh, right over here. And uh, I just want you to imagine, this isn't a true scenario. I'm just kind of making up a scenario. This would never actually happen um, completely and utterly fictitious. But just imagine that one Saturday evening, uh, Jacob decides to come up when no one else is around the office and he's kind of skulking around in the dark. And he has a key to my office because the personnel key opens all the offices. So he, he opens up my office and he sees that I'm not there. And he, he reaches in to my office and goes to my desk and he borrows my Bible. And he thinks, so I'm just going to borrow it. I'm not going to take it. I'm just going to borrow it because I'm going to go have a quiet time in Brian's Bible. That would be so amazing for me. And, you know, just think about the, the spiritual vibes that I could get from Brian's Bible. So he, he skulks out of the office. He takes my Bible. He goes over to Starbucks. And, and he's, he has this addiction. It's, uh, you know, these Frappuccino things. And they're super, you know, sprinkles on top and whipped cream and mocha and all this kind of thing. So he orders this thing. And he begins to have this quiet time. And, oh, he spills his mocha Frappuccino sprinkles all over my Bible. And, and it just destroys it, right? All the pages stick together. I can't actually speak from Matthew any longer. Matthew's just destroyed. It's gone. And so he skulks back in and he folds it up and he puts it on my, my desk. And I come in, and I'm like, oh man, what happened to my Bible? It's, you know, completely destroyed. But Jacob being who he is, he feels guilty. He feels shame. So he finds me and he says, Brian, please forgive me. I borrowed your Bible. I needed your vibes. I, I didn't get them, but I 
I'm sorry I, I destroyed your Bible. And I, and I release him from the debt. Jacob, you don't have to buy me a new Bible. But somebody has to buy me a new Bible because I don't have a Bible anymore. Right? It's, it's been destroyed and I need a Bible. If not for quiet times, at least for preaching. Right? Well, I need something in my hands. And, you know, and, and Jacob can't afford it, honestly. My Bible's really nice and Jacob's poor. I'm just telling you, you know, Jacob and Susan, like, if you want to come in afterwards, save the Jacob and Susan fund. He can't afford it, so I release him from the debt, but somebody's got to pay, so I pay the debt that is owed me. I pay it myself, because I can afford it. That's the essence of the gospel message. The one who has offended God pays the debt that we owe to him. Why? Because we simply cannot afford it. The wages of sin is death, right? You want to pay your own death? It will, debt, it will destroy you. It will take your life. You will not survive the payment of that debt. And so God says, I want you to survive. I will pay the debt for you. I release you. And I pay. Now, this morning, you may be coming in here and, and you haven't actually experienced that, that God has released you from the debt. And the most important thing that you could do this morning is receive forgiveness. So God, you're right. There, there are some trespasses in my life. There are times when I knew where the boundary was and I just stepped over it. And then I just stepped over it again. I kept stepping over and I've trespassed and I've misstepped. There are things that, yeah, eventually I knew that that was wrong and I mistakenly did it and and I owe you a debt. I've missed the mark. I haven't lived up to the standard of your perfection. God, please release me from the debt in Jesus. And he says, I will. Freely, graciously. Once and for all, that separation that sin has caused is gone. And you are free. But here's the rub. Most of you probably have received that. If you haven't, let me encourage you to do it today. But as soon as you do that, or if you've already done it, I promise that there will be sins that you do again. Some of you, even this morning, 915 crowd affirmed. You know, if you're a parent and you have young kids, you've probably fought. On the way in, you know, you, this, this is when God says, I'm going to really mess up families. You're trying to get out the door and go to church. So there's just, ah, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that happens. And if not now, it'll be on the way to lunch, right? Or, you know, this afternoon, right? We, we've trusted in Christ. Our debt is removed. But then we keep stepping over boundaries. We keep misstepping. How do we deal with that? Or does that remove our relationship with God? Well, absolutely not. But it disrupts the intimacy, and so we have to address the situation. And the way that we do that is through confession. To confess something means to say the same thing. Literally in Greek, it means say the same thing. So God says, that was a misstep, that was a transgression, that was missing the mark. And we say, I'm wrong, you're right, God. What you have described there is correct, and I confess it. I say the same thing. So as John writes in 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to release us from the debt, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us, right? John says, look, don't tell me that you don't continue to struggle and battle with sin. You do. But there's a remedy and the remedy is this, confess your sins Because when you do, it's only right for God to forgive you. Why? Because the debt has already been paid in Jesus. So he can immediately restore you into relationship or fellowship with him. The intimacy can be fixed because the debt has been paid in Jesus. It would be unrighteous for God not to forgive you each and every time that you come and you plead for forgiveness through Jesus. Now, on the other hand, 
Sometimes we don't want to confess, do we? We sense that God's spirit may be doing something, but we kind of dig in our heels and we resist or we rationalize. We explain why it really wasn't that bad and why it was somebody else's fault and we're, we're, we're fighting against it. And what we discover is we suffer. Our relationship with God suffers and we suffer ourselves internally. Let me illustrate. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. The prophet wrote, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Well, does he actually not hear? Well, he hears because he hears all things. And he's still your God. But your sins have created a barrier. The relationship is still intact, but the intimacy, the fellowship, has been disrupted. It's been broken. As the psalmist said, if I regard wickedness in my heart, right, I cling to it, I dig in my heels, the Lord will not hear. Can he actually not hear? No, well, he's omniscient. He knows all things. He hears all things. But there's an unresponsiveness because of the barrier that you've been unwilling to remove. And it can get even worse. Psalm 32. It says, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. That's what David wrote. He said, you know, when I just wouldn't admit it, I wouldn't confess it, I wouldn't acknowledge it, I got sick. I ached. There was mental and emotional distress, but also physical distress as the Spirit continued to convict and I continued to resist. I needed to be released and so confess. And it may be this morning that the Spirit of God, the message that he's saying to some of us is, Confess. Because the Spirit convicts of sin. And let me uh, give you briefly a, a little trick for how you can distinguish between the voice of the Spirit and the voice of Satan. Satan says, you stink. Yeah, you're, just, you're lousy. You're rotten, right? There's just this blanket sense of condemnation. That is not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God says, you lied to your roommate. When you said that, 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 was, that was a lie. And you knew it was a lie. You, you trespassed over a boundary. Because you know what the truth is, and you didn't speak the truth. Right? And the Spirit comes in with specific words and says, this was sin. Specifically, deal with that. Deal with this relationship with this roommate, with this parent, with this friend, with this spouse. Because when you did this, this was a wrong deed. It was a wrong action. It was a wrong motive. And you need to confess. And maybe the Spirit is telling you this morning, very simply, There's something in your life that you haven't been willing to say, God, you're right. I'm in the wrong. You're in the right. Now, when you do that, then receive. Receive forgiveness. For so many of us, we we get to the point of confession, but then it's so hard to receive it because we feel like, well, I I just did that sin yesterday, and then I did it again today, and I might do it tomorrow. I'm going to try not to. Why should I keep going back? Why should I keep asking for forgiveness? Because the moment that you confess, God is gracious and kind beyond anything you've ever experienced here on earth. He loves to forgive. God is by nature a forgiving God. And he can forgive because he has paid the highest price in Jesus to remove that debt of sin. So for some of us, we just need to believe it that God, in fact, has removed that debt of sin. And we say, thank you, God, I receive it. Psalm 103 Verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgression from us. And what does that mean in the the ancient Near Eastern worldview? Well, it means these two never actually meet. They just keep flying further away. That's who God is. That's how God forgives. And so maybe this morning you need to confess. Maybe you've already confessed and you need to trust God at his word 
and receive his forgiveness. So for us to go deep in our intimacy with God, deep in our communication, remove that barrier, sometimes we need to seek and receive his forgiveness. But sometimes we need to grant that same forgiveness to others. Read with me in verse 12. Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then he gives some commentary in verse 14. He says, for if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive you your transgressions. You say, wow, that's, that's kind of scary. <laughs> What's he talking about there? Does he mean if I'm unwilling to for, forgive a roommate, then I lose my eternal life? Or I prove I never had eternal life? No, that's not what he's saying. The moment that you believe that relationship is secure and lasts forever with the Father. But the intimacy of the communication gets disrupted when our earthly relationships are disrupted through an unwillingness to grant forgiveness. Your relationships with friends and family and coworkers have a direct relationship with your intimacy with the Father. Let me give you another illustration. Um, Anybody ever had a bad roommate? Now, as I told the first service, don't raise your hand yet. Wait, because you may be sitting next to that roommate. So if you're sitting next to the roommate, right here, these are my instructions. If you're sitting next to the roommate, you, you say no. And when you, you shake your head no, I know you mean yeah. <laughs> right? Sitting right next, right? So any bad roommates? Anybody ever? Right, so fewer hands go up. I, okay, I got it. You're sitting next to that person. I, I had a really, I had one t- horrible roommate. I had a bunch of roommates. Um, you know, they're some good, some, some not, not as good, but one that was just, it was just terrible. Um, he did, he did all the typical bad roommate stuff. So, you know, I'd come home and he's eaten my food, right? He didn't ask to borrow it. He didn't uh, offer to pay me for it. He didn't go out and replace it, take the time to go to the grocery store or anything like that. He just goes in the pantry, eats my food. I come home, I'm ready to cook a meal. My food's all gone, right? And then in the process, he would, he would make every dish and every pot and pan dirty and then leave it in the sink and on the table, right? I mean, it just, ah, oh, just make me crazy. Then he would, he would go upstairs and he'd go to sleep because he would go to sleep uh, early in the afternoon because he had to get up at 3 a.m. to go to work. He was a UPS driver, right? So he's, everything is trashed. My food is all gone. He's upstairs in sleep. And, and he, would, he was a super heavy sleeper, so I, I'm not exaggerating. It's going to sound like I'm exaggerating, but I'm not exaggerating. Literally, he would set four alarms, and he'd set them on high, and he would sleep through them, right? So he would, he, his alarms would go off at 3 a.m., and a radio going on, right, right, and, and I, he's upstairs, and I'm downstairs, and I wake up, 3 a.m., right? And so I've got to get out of my bed, and I go rouse him out, get him awake, whatever. And if he ever, ever did wake up from his alarms, which is like hardly ever, when he would come home early and park, we lived on an alley and he would always park in such a way that one of us had to park behind him so that when he woke up at 3 a.m., he had to wake us up in order to move our cars so that he could get out, right? I mean, it's like, ah, it just, I mean, I remember just, I remember just shaking, being so frustrated, okay? But here's the worst. I'm still going. Uh, I I was studying one day and he was uh, laying on the couch watching TV, of course, whatever, and his girlfriend, really sweet girl, had, uh, she came over, she was going to cook food for all of us. Food that she bought, he did not buy. And uh, so she went out 
to the car to get the food. She's got her arms full and she's coming back in and we lived in a really kind of unsafe neighborhood. So our door would swing shut and lock every time. It was the whatever, you know, super lazy dude. And, you know, and she's, she gets back to the door. Her arms are full with groceries. The door is locked and she, you know, kicks the door. She goes, Hey, can you get the door? I swear to you, I'm not making this up. He's laying on the couch. Her arms are full. Can't get in. And he says to her, use your key. I was like, I'm in the room next door listening as I'm studying. And I mean, I was just like, oh man, Justice Brian just, I'm like, oh, I cannot believe that you just said that. So I, you know, I walk out and I kind of do this to him, you know, (laughs) staring at him. I I opened the door and I literally said to her, I said, you should not date him. (laughs) All right. This is my, my moment for true confession. I, I, got, I was so, I was so angry. There were periods of time, long periods, when we would not speak. Okay. But even worse, in my heart, and I, again, this is embarrassing to say, but in my heart, there were moments when I prayed that he would push me so I could hit him. Like, I'm like, come on, come on. I mean, one time we're, we're, we're at seminary, and uh, I'm walking across the campus, and, and I, I saw him. And we, this is back when you had to wear ties and coats every day. And I saw him, and he's wearing my clothes. <laughs> and I go, dude, you're, you're wearing my tie. He goes, that looks good, doesn't it? I just, I mean, even on campus, if he had pushed me, let's go right now, <laughs> right? Oh, it was so infuriating. You know, what happened to me was... Um, my relationship with the Lord during that period of time, it, it was hard to pray. It was really hard to pray. Because even when I'd pray, it would be more like, you know, imprecatory psalms, right? <laughs> Bring down the judgment and fire and lightning kind of prayers, right? I mean, just, it, I felt it. When we are unwilling to extend forgiveness to others, our intimacy with the Father is disrupted. Internally, we, we suffer. Our other relationships suffer. Let me read you a quote from Frederick Buchner that I discovered several years ago that describes this so vividly. He says, Of the seven deadly sins, anger is probably the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. The person who has offended you may not even know that they've offended you. I lived with this guy about two years. Made me crazy. Um, At the end of that two years, I and another roommate, we decided we're going to move out. We're going to find our own place. Partially because of him. Partially because the neighborhood's kind of going downhill. But, you know, we we told him. We said, we're going to move out. We're going to get an apartment. He said, really? You want to get an apartment together? (laughs) I'm kidding you. I swear. (laughs) Like, you know that, like, I didn't talk to you for months and I wanted to hit you. No, I didn't say that. I didn't. I just go. I just said, oh, no, we're good. (laughs) The other person may not even know. They may not acknowledge. They may never confess. But if you don't release the debt before the Lord, 
you will suffer. You'll suffer. So how do you do it? Let me give you a few thoughts. First, trust the justice of God. God is a God of justice. God is a God who puts all things right. God cares more about justice than you do. He's better at it than you are. He knows when to do it and how to do it best. Trust him. Listen to these words from Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. He says to Timothy, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. <laughs> Man, I'm glad I was not Alexander. How, how would you like being recorded in one of Paul's letters like that? God's got this. Man, I'll just turn him over to the creator of the universe. But you can. You can. You can release it to God knowing that God will put it right. He'll give the right amount of justice and the right amount of mercy and the right time exactly as it should be given. This is one of the places that I start. Trust the justice of God. Second, forgive and then forgive and then forgive and forgive and forgive. Because forgiveness doesn't happen just in a moment. Forgiveness is a process, not the single event. And when someone wrongs you, it'll come up immediately and you'll release it to the Lord, but it may be five minutes later that your flesh or the adversary just throws it in your face again and you have to forgive. And then you may be able to go a day, but it's just it's going to keep popping up. And each time that you do, you have to release it and say, God, I trust you. You're a God of justice. And I let it go. I release it. I let it go. I release it over and over and over and over again. And slowly I become a forgiving person. Right? I become that person who's transformed. I love the story about Clara Barton. She was the founder of American Red Cross. And one time she was talking with somebody and they, they reminded her of a particular grievous offense that had been committed against her. And Clara Barton appeared to not remember what had happened. And this person said, don't you remember this? And she said, I clearly remember forgetting it. Satan will continuously bring the event back up and you will learn to forgive and then learn to forgive and you will practice not rehearsing it. That's what forgiveness is. Don't expect that when an offense is really biting and it really hurts that you'll just go, okay, I'm done with this. It's a lifetime. And it's a lifetime of forgiving that changes your character and makes you into that kind of person. Third, forgive but also seek reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. Before the Lord, you are responsible to release that debt. Release it to the Lord. Let him get justice. But then as far as it depends upon you, seek reconciliation. Try to fix the relationship. Why? Because God is a a reconciling God. So one of the other words for forgiveness, right? Two of them mean like release the debt, let it go. But the other is the word charizomai from which we get the word charis, which means grace. Right? Release the debt, but then grant favor. Do what's best for that person. Pursue reconciliation of the relationship. Now, you may not be able to fix it. Because reconciliation requires both parties to come together. So it may not be within your power. You do all that you can do. You still may get stuck. The person may not acknowledge the wrong that's done against. They may not seek forgiveness. So trust is difficult to restore, right? Because trust and forgiveness aren't the same thing. Trust is earned and it takes time to build and it's really fragile and takes time to rebuild. You must release the debt, but move toward reconciliation if you can. Now, let me read again. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says, Alexander the coppersmith 
did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. And then he tells Timothy this. He says, be on your guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. He was destroying the church. So he says, Timothy, if he comes back in Ephesus, hold, it on, hold him at arm's length. But he may not be trustworthy still. Now, I promise you, if Alexander the coppersmith had come to Paul and said, Paul, I was creating division in the church. He gets on his knees. He washes Paul's feet, says, forgive me. Paul would have forgiven him and would have begun that process, if possible, of reconciliation. He probably would not have appointed Alexander immediately to be an elder of that church. Because there was such a deep fracture and mistrust, that takes time to build. But I want to challenge you. You may have been wronged, and God may be just calling you just to open the door a crack. Just open it a crack. Can you begin to see that, rec- that r- relationship harmonized again. Now, fourth, remember the debt that you owed. I come back to this time after time after time. And somebody owes me a debt. I take it before the Lord. It's the God of justice. say, God, you can set all these things right. And then I also remember that I owed a debt that I couldn't pay. And God released me. And so fundamentally, I don't release the debt that someone else owes me because they deserve it, because they're asking for it, because everything has changed, but just because I was released of a greater debt. Ephesians 4, verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And that's deeply challenging and convicting to me. I don't know if you remember that parable that Jesus told where a slave owed his master this enormous sum of money. In fact, Jesus uses a term that means essentially like gazillion. Right? It's just the biggest number times 10 that you could express in the Greek language. And the master uh, forgives him because he asked. He didn't make any promise to repay because he couldn't. He's a slave. He can't make that kind, that kind of money. And then he turns around. The slave goes out and he's got a fellow slave that owes him like one day's wage. But he can't repay. And so he grabs the slave and he starts choking him. I mean, it's really, again, super vivid imagery. It's, ah, pay me back what you owe. And if you can't pay, I'm going to throw you in prison. Throws him in prison, his wife, his kids, everything. He's just, it's just, it's just horrible. And the master finds out about it from the fellow slaves. He's like, what are you, what are you doing? I forgave you a debt that you could never repay. Will you not turn around and just forgive this small thing? So for me, part of the, the self-talk, part of that, that, mental and and spiritual process is I remember consciously that God forgave me a debt I couldn't pay. Fifth, forgive to make Jesus real. This is sometimes difficult for us to really wrap our minds around. But in this broken, fallen world, God doesn't always intervene in all of your relationships. Sometimes he allows you to be wronged. So that people can experience forgiveness from you. Like Jesus hanging on the cross and he looks down and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're deceived by their own flesh and their own lust for power. They're deceived by the adversary. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But you know, this moment happened 2,000 years ago and it's hard to wrap our minds around it. But when I offend somebody and they forgive me, I, I see the reality of the nature of God. God is a forgiving God. He loves to forgive. He longs to forgive. He's eager to forgive. He's the son of the prodigal. He's the father of the the prodigal son, and he rushes out to embrace the son. That's the nature of God. And when we are wronged and we forgive like that, people actually can, can tangibly understand, okay, that's what God is like. They may not say that in their minds. They may just say, why did you forgive me? I can't forgive like that. 
what's going on? And we point them to Jesus and say, you know, I was wronged. I mean, I wronged the Lord in a deeper way. And so I'm, I'm obligated. God has changed me and transformed me. Let me release you from that debt. Can we move toward reconciliation and say, you know, I don't get that anywhere else in the world. What's, what's the truth here? What's the reality here? And in fact, sometimes God allows that to happen to, to us. Even when we can't reconcile the relationship, people can watch how we forgive and they can say, I want some of that. I need that. If I need anything in my life, I need to be forgiven and I need to know that I'm forgiven. You know, years ago, Carl Menninger, who, who started the, the Menninger Clinics, he, he was a psychiatrist. He said in his hospital, he estimated that 75% of his patients could walk out that same day if they could just believe that they were forgiven. The problem was they couldn't believe they were forgiven because they didn't know the one who forgives, right? But you know, what brings emotional and psychological and spiritual healing to people is when they experience forgiveness from us. So we forgive so that we can show off Jesus. Now, sixth, own any wrong that you have done. Everything else that I've talked about, those other five, assume that uh, you're the one who's been wronged, but let's be honest. Sometimes we have a little part too. And in those moments, we need to go to the other person and own what we have done without expecting them to own their part. But just so that we are clean before the Lord. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, if you are on your way to the temple and you're about to put your sacrifice on the altar, I want you to just stop. Put the sacrifice aside if you know that a brother has something against you. If you have wronged your brother, then I just want to stop worshiping. Just stop worshiping. Put the the analogy in our world. That means you're on your way to church. You're you're driving in and you're you're ready to just get fired up and listen to the the, the songs and you want to get a sermon and you want to take notes and you want to pray and you're just really fired up and you're on your way and you realize, no, um, yeah, I did. I I did lie to that roommate. Er, He says, stop the car. Don't, you know what's more important than worship right now? is that you turn around and you get reconciled. And it may be that what God's calling some of us to do is to, to confess to a, a friend, a roommate, or a parent. It may be that they don't know and the confession is more appropriate to the Lord, but right now we've got to get that right because essentially what the, the, the Lord's Prayer is about is it's, it's moving us towards sincerity, okay, genuineness. He says in this section, when you... When you give, don't be hypocritical. Don't, don't do it for show and external. Wow, you showed up for church again. Wow, and you look awesome. And, uh, and you raised your hands. Way to go. I mean, man, you are so spiritual. No, it's not that. When you, when you pray, when you give, when you fast, it's, it's just before the Lord. I just want you to be clean. And this is freedom. Receive forgiveness. God gives it. Grant forgiveness. Why? Because you've been forgiven. Seek it from others. Confess. Because you want to live an honest and truthful life. And you don't want to suffer. You want intimacy with the Father. You want to hear his voice. You want to speak to him and know that you are with God and you are growing in intimacy. That's what we long for. Now, how do we make this practical? Uh, Jacob's going to come up and he's going to give us uh, some uh, examples and some ideas of how we can take the principles and really put them into practice in our lives. Yeah. Right. I mean, as we just saw, forgiveness is a choice, right? Reconciliation is a process. 
And we find ourselves in a lot of different points along that path. I know that a lot of us, even just right here, right now, we have different points in our lives. We're at different points on that, on that journey uh, with a certain person, a, a family member, or a friend, a coworker, whatever it might be. And, and honestly, one of the things we thought would be most practical and most powerful was maybe just to look at a couple portraits, just a couple of pictures of, of what this looks like played out in our midst. And so I actually asked two of our volunteer Bible study leaders within our college ministry, a wonderful man by the name of Dayton Beal, wonderful woman by the name of Miranda Patel. Dayton's going to come up and they are both going to share just a story, kind of their testimony of forgiveness. They're going to share of just what they've seen God do through, through these principles, through this, this charge, how they've seen forgiveness play out in their lives over just kind of recent memory. Well, howdy. My name is uh, Dayton Beal. And uh, just this whole idea of forgiveness has just been like super real in my life uh, the last year. Um, So I grew up um, in a pretty small family. I'm an only child. I'm very close to my parents. Had a very like tight-knit relationship with my parents. Um, Grew up, came to college. It was was pretty difficult leaving, um, leaving like my parents at home. I just was close to them. And it kind of gave itself like a new set of difficulties. Um, but everything seemed fine. Everything seemed normal uh, in my family. But um, this last year in 2017, right after spring break, um, I get a call from my dad. And my dad is crying. And he proceeds to tell me at how he doesn't feel like he loves my mom anymore. And that he takes a step away and says, I need to be separated from your mom um, right now. He's like, I know you don't understand. I don't understand but this is what I'm going to have to do. And so my parents separated, but initially there was this feeling of hope. And that he was like, if I can fix myself, then I can probably fix our marriage. Um, but as the months continue, I started to see that he was really just stepping away from the Lord. Um, that he was stepping away from my mom. He was stepping away from our family. And really pursuing um, other things uh, in this world that God calls us to not pursue. Um, and so initially, there's just confusion, um, and there's all of this pain, and just looking at my mom's life and to see just the pain that she felt in that time, and, and, and the way that she had to lean into the Lord, and that she didn't have anybody, um, you know, to really turn to other than God in this, this moment. Um, and so that, that was challenging, and then the summer hits, and then um, I leave for six weeks to go on a, a mission trip uh, to North Africa. My mom's left at home, my dad's left at home, and just kind of just this feeling of isolation, Um, And it it was difficult, and it was great to see God move in another country, um, and it was powerful, but still coming back, this idea was just very real, of just, wow, like this is broken, and this is the way that it's going. Um, And then we fast forward a few months to the semester starting, and as the semester started, um, things just were kind of normal, just the the realistic idea of like, all right, families separated, that's just the way it is, is the way life kind of um, happened. But at the beginning of October, uh, my dad got into a pretty serious car accident, and he had just purchased a car. Um, he like flipped the car off the side of the highway, and it was just this big ordeal. And he should have been seriously injured, uh, but he just opened the door and walked out um, completely fine. Nothing wrong with him at all. And I remember getting this call on the phone. And he was just like, "Hey, like I just got in this car accident. Like I totaled the car, um, all this stuff." And I was like, "Dad, like do you understand what just happened? Like you opened the door and you walked out and you're fine." He's like, "Yeah, I guess that's pretty cool." And I'm just like, "Dad." Like, that is God speaking to you. God is going to be using you in this time, but you just have to realize that. And so that was the, the starting point for him. He started going to church. 
And we started finding community, started seeking out uh, that in his life. And I started to see this transformation. And then that led to Thanksgiving break. He actually called my mom and apologized for all that he had done the last seven months. Um, and in that time, he was able to just apologize for the things that he'd done. And my mom was like, Danny, like, I forgive you. Like, I know these last seven months have been um, horrible, and the things that you've done have been not good, but I forgive you, and I do that, and I would love to try and become friends again. And so my dad actually ended up spending a few days of Thanksgiving break with us, and we were really able just to kind of, like, build this, like, friendly trust again, and it was, it was, it was kind of cool. And then December 1st hit, and I got into a bicycle accident here on campus and uh, broke a bunch of bones, uh, tore muscle, and, like, was in and out of surgery all of Christmas break. And my parents kind of had to like jump into this crisis moment, and they had to like drive down here. They're in and out of hospitals, and they spent a lot of time together in that. And like through that process, my parents spent more and more time together. They grew in their friendship, they grew in like vulnerability and sharing things with one another. And then actually, like a couple of days before the new year started, my parents reconciled and actually remarried. And so just to see the progression of that, but then to really look into my mom's life and to see how she was able to forgive my dad throughout this whole process, and to see the way that she showed Jesus in this and understood that God can change people, and you just have to allow him to do it. So, thank you. Man, praise God. They got remarried. Like, did we catch that? Didn't we? Want, like, we're excited about that, right? They, they reconciled. Man, it's a powerful story to see that forgiveness play out. Uh, another powerful example from Miranda Patel, another extraordinary leader. Um, I'm not as cool as Dayton, so I, I had to write mine out. Um, but my name's Miranda. I'm a junior here at A&M. Um, and unlike most of y'all, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't just not grow up in it. I grew up against it. My father is a brilliantly intelligent Ph.D. chemist and one of the world's most passionate atheists, something that he strived to pass down to me. Um, But before I continue, to give full disclosure, uh, I would not be where I am today without him. I wouldn't be at A&M without his drive of education instilled in me. I wouldn't have any sort of success or friends or life if he hadn't taught me that the content of my character means more than anything else. But with that being said, my childhood contained a lot of brokenness. I like to describe my testimony as a parallel to those phone commercials with the, like, can you hear me now guy who's, like, running around because, like, he has no service, and he's like, can you hear me? Um, and I was the guy in the commercial with no signal, and God was at the other end of the phone. And my atheist upbringing was what was blocking that signal. And I'm sure, as most of y'all have probably experienced, when you have no phone signal, the only way to fix that is to move. Like, you have to get out of wherever you are that's deserted and has no service. Um, But my problem was that I didn't know that I was in a dead zone, and I also didn't know that anyone was trying to call me. Um, So through what I described earlier as my broken childhood, God stirred my heart to move. Um, He used my drug-addicted mother to tell me that there's something better. He used her when I was seven years old, taking me with her to see the man that she was having an affair with, to teach me that earthly trust is unreliable. He used my dad's conditional love and performance-based approval to drive me to find a new standard that I had to live up to, but not by works. He used two divorces and three marriages to send my heart in search of a better love. He used my brokenness to drive me to move so that his calls could come through. And I moved. I moved to Texas A&M my freshman year. 
And I was now in a place where I could move around and had a little bit more control of my cell phone signal. And God's call finally got through. It came through in the form of a girl that I went to high school with who invited me to Breakaway. And it was at Breakaway that I saw the something better. I physically saw the something better, and I felt it. And it was there that God said, can you hear me now? And I said, yes. After a few weeks of reading the Bible that that girl brought me and studying the book Case for Christ, I accepted Jesus while sitting on my dorm bed here at A&M. After that, I spent six months hiding that fact from my parents. I found an on-campus Bible study and watched sermons online because they could track my location via my phone and I wasn't allowed at a church. But sure enough, God did what I couldn't and he allowed my parents to find out. They read through some of my journals while I was out of town one weekend. And for a full year after that, I spent every day trying to please everyone. I knew that I loved Jesus, but my dad was my best friend. He was my rock, and he hated what I was becoming. I tried really hard, but nothing is harder than trying to serve two masters. My boyfriend suggested that I seek wise counsel. And it was in this wise counsel that God sent me a text message through Jacob Smith. Jacob said these key words to me. At some point, while still respecting your parents, you're going to have to make a choice for you and your faith and not for anybody else. In August, I texted God back and told him I was ready. I boldly told my parents that I was going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. My dad responded with a trip to College Station with my mom. And the words, you are my biggest disappointment, and our family will move on without you. They took my car and made sure that I knew that they weren't going to pay for anything else, no support, other than strictly tuition fees and what A&M told them they had to pay. I lost my car, my food money, rent money. I lost my home and my family and my entire support system. I lost it all. But let me tell you what I gained. A week later... After spending the night crying at Breakaway, the same place where I found Jesus, I was there out of emotional exhaustion, just crying. The next day, my roommate sent me a text saying that her dad had told her co-worker and one of his great friends my story and what was going on. His co-worker, this man by the name of James, who I have never met, well, I have met now, but had never met me at that time, didn't know what I looked like, knew nothing about me, agreed to pay for my rent and my utilities for an entire school year. He also added in extra money for snacks, as he liked to put it, um, and since then has paid, offered to pay for any extra tuition for any schooling that I desire, retreat fees for Christian camps that I've led, and has sponsored my entire mission trip that I'm going on this spring break. The next week, my roommate's family blessed me in the form of a white 1995 F-150 that had been sitting in their garage with no one to drive it which has been a handful and a half, but also one of my biggest blessings. The following day, I got asked to lead an all-girls Bible study, and in this, I gained girls that looked up to me and that provided me with a mutual support as well. I'm a 20-year-old girl, disowned by her family, who has financial peace, transportation, and most of all, a new family. God is good. My Jesus phone has full bars everywhere. While my life is amazing, I still long for the day that I see my parents again. I long for text messages and phone calls. I long for approval, and I long for holidays. But let me tell you why that's so hard. 
Forgiveness must be mutual. On their end, it's currently out of the picture. On my end, it is only in existence because of Jesus. I'd love to say that I can fully forgive my dad. And while I'm still working towards that, it it definitely doesn't come immediately. The one thing that I can say is that bitterness blocks your cell phone signal to Jesus. Bitterness blocks joy. I have joy and I show love because Jesus forgives me every single day. Every little mistake I make, Jesus forgives me for. I am broken by the pain of my father's words, but I am whole by the spirit of the Lord. Jesus, Lord and Savior, forgives me every day, so who am I to deny that to anybody? I am valued as a daughter of the maker of the universe, and I love much because I have been forgiven much. And praise God, right? Praise God in the reconciliation, and yet also praise God in the midst of just a horrible path, a horrible road. Praise God that we have a heavenly Father who loves us perfectly, unconditionally, who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to, to make a way when there was no way to bridge that gap that we created. So this morning, the way we wanted to close out was just to, to give us all a little bit of time to talk with that God, talk with our God, to talk with our Father and, and tell Him where we are and ask Him to move us forward on this path of forgiveness. So please join me in prayer. Lord God, we are so grateful that you have given us instruction on how to how to have relationship with you, Lord, how to communicate with you, Lord. You've given us not just instruction, but you laid out an an example through the life and death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that we can be united with you, not just in theory, but but in an actual relationship. And and Lord, we just pray that 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 relationship would, would spill out into the lives of the people around us. The Lord, the love and forgiveness that we've experienced from you would be just readily extended to the people around us. So if you would take this moment now and pray to God and, and, and maybe pray one of three things. Pray that maybe first that, that you, there's something to confess. There's something that you need to release. That you say, God, this is somewhere I, I misstepped. Or God, this is somewhere where I trespassed. God, this is a, an area where I missed that mark. Or maybe instead of confessing right now, you just need to receive the forgiveness that's been given to you through Christ. To, to, to cast off the fear and the shame to recognize that there's no condemnation for you if you're under his name. If you've, if you've called on him for the forgiveness of your sins, you can receive that forgiveness freely. Or maybe instead of confessing or receiving, maybe you should be going before the Lord and, and asking him to empower you to reconcile with someone in your life. Someone that you need to forgive or someone you need to confess to, you need to seek forgiveness from. No matter where you are, God knows who you are. He knows where you're at. Take this moment and, and pray to him and ask him to move you forward in that forgiveness. God, once again, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the, the scripture that was unpacked. Lord, we thank you for the st- stories that were boldly proclaimed. 
And Lord, we pray that all of it would point us to yourself, that you would be at the forefront of our hearts and minds as we leave this place. We pray these things according to your will. Amen. All right, well, we love you guys, and we'll see you in a week.